In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will study tonight Psalm 58. Each psalm has a title, and the title of this psalm, To the Chief Musician, said to Do Not Destroy. Amishtam of David. So according to the title, David is the author. Also, the title indicates, as it was mentioned in previous Psalms, that it was directed to the chief musician. Chief musician, some commentator said, he is our Lord Jesus Christ. But others said the chief musician is the leader of the choir of the musicians in David's time, like Haman or Asaph. Set to don't destroy may refer refer to a tune or a very famous song. Like for example, we say this song is chanted like that song. So maybe there, is a, there was a very famous song started by Don't Destroy. So this psalm will be chanted according to this famous song. Some others said it refers to the determination of David that he will not destroy King Saul. Although King Saul is chasing him and want to kill him, but he is determined don't to destroy. Or maybe it is David plea to God that God would not allow him to be destroyed. So he's praying, praying this son and asking God to protect him from being destroyed by his enemies. Mishtam means golden. So when we say a mishtam of David indicates this one of the golden psalms composed by David. But the title seems to have no reference to the subject of the psalm, meaning when it is written, on what occasion, etc. However, according to the Syriac version, Syriac language version, the Syriac Bible. And the title of the psalm, according to the Syriac Bible, it's written that this psalm, written when King Saul threatened the priests because they did not show him where David was when they knew it. David, when he fled from King Saul, He actually went to the high priest and they hid him from King Saul. So according to the Syriac Bible, uh, this psalm was written on that occasion. Others believe that this psalm referred to Absalom's rebellion when his son Absalom wanted to take the kingdom 
from his father David. Anyway, David suffered for a long time from the deception of King Saul, who has put in his heart to kill him. Also, David suffered from the deception of his friend and counselor, Achitophel, who helped Absalom against King David. Besides, David also suffered from the rebellion of his son, Absalom. This son warns those of authority who abuse their position, any leader who abuse his position, those who not only fail to administer justice fairly and rightly, but are themselves among the worst of wrongdoers. Any leader we expect from him to administer justice fairly and rightly. But if this leader not only could not administer justice fairly and rightly, beside this, he himself is among the worst of wrongdoers. To these people, David actually composed this song. This song is a short song, just 11 verses. From verse 1 to 5, rebuking the deceptive wicked leaders. 6 to 8, a just judgment from God is sought. He is seeking just judgment from God. 9 to 11, David's confidence in God's judgment. So let's start from verse 1. This psalm actually is full of metaphors. Verse 1. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. So David directly addresses the leaders who are causing the trouble in his life, like King Saul. He identifies their unrighteous unrighteous speech and their unjust judgment. He exposes their inner wicked plan and their desire to spread violence on the earth. So, not only there is no justice, but rather there is also violence. Some think that he is addressing this psalm to those leaders who aligned with King Saul who passed judgment on David, condemning him to death, sentenced as a traitor. And some think it might be a reference to Absalom's prudented zeal for justice. Absalom, in order to get the people to be in his sight, at that time, the judges used to sit at the gates of the city. 
So as we read in 2 Samuel 15, verse 2, Absalom actually sat at the gate of the city, and he started to ask the people, what's your problem, and try to solve this problem. So as if, actually, he was zealous for justice. So maybe King David is addressing his son, Absalom's pretended zeal for justice, while in reality, he was meditating the most evil, shocking crimes to turn the kingdom against David and to take it from him. So David challenged these rulers and the uprightness of their decision, whether their decision was upright or not. Because if they were upright, they should have defended him and defended other innocents, but instead stayed silent when they ought to speak. That's why he told them, do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? You should speak, but now you are silent. It is a general condemnation on the rulers of the earth for their lack of just and righteous judgment. When they see innocents, innocent are condemned and they are silent. All men ought to speak that which is right and truth, but especially judges who are to judge the people with just judgment. They are expected to speak what's right and what's true. David points out that the rulers are not only judging fairly, but they practice injustice in their hearts and violence by their hands. That's why he said to them, after he said, Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No. In heart, you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. So they practice injustice in their hearts and violence by their hands. So the judges are also called sons of men. Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? Why? To remind them that they are human and themselves they are subject to a higher judge, God. Both questions in verse 1 are asked in bitter irony, as it is clear from the context. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? And after questioning the words and justice of his enemies, David examined their intentions and their actions. Their intention was to work wickedness, and in their actions they dispensed violence in the earth. That's why in verse 2 he told them, your intention, in heart you work wickedness. 
and your action, you weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. In heart, you work wickedness with free choice and consent, with premeditation and plans. They might keep silent or speak sweet words, but their works testify to their evil. They were silent, but their works testified their wickedness and their evil. What they think in their hearts and minds are exposed by their deeds when they publicly practice oppression according to the prophet Micah. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hands. So on bed at night, they work out evil in their mind. They make plans, wicked plans, evil plans. They devise iniquity. Then when they woke up in morning, in morning light, they practice it. They do it because it is in the power of their hands. They have authority. Verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. From verse 3 to 5, show how evil these rulers are. Their whole lives have been full of wickedness, as if they have been liars from birth, from the womb, as soon as they are born. David identified the problem of the judges. They are wicked at the root, in their nature, from birth. Yes, all humanity, including himself, we were born with corrupted nature and with the original sin. As we read in Psalm 51, verse 5, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your great mercy. Also, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, we read, The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. But these men have shown a more than ordinary capacity of wickedness. This verse, Genesis 8:21, it says from youth. But these people from birth. So the wickedness has become to them a second nature. They are estranged. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Stranged from God and His law. They are alienated from the life of God, alienated and enemies in their mind by wicked words. According to St. Augustine, those who were estranged from the womb refer to them who, after being born in the church, born again in the church by baptism, 
God is estranged from it. They are drifted away and bore the spirit of animosity against the church and were alienated from the truth. So birth here can refer to the rebirth in baptism. After I am born again as a Christian in baptism, if I drifted away, then I am estranged. I became a stranger and alienated from God. David here is not addressing the doctrine of original sin as in Psalm 51, because he was not speaking about all humanity, but speaking about the wicked here. But what the psalmist means is that those who ultimately become vile sinners, for most part, show even from their early childhood a strong tendency toward evil. And maybe parenting did not, parents did not discipline them right. That's why they grew and become evil. And they are speaking lies. According to St. Augustine, they utter lies for they bear evil hidden in their hearts. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. So a person actually in his heart, if uh, he has evil in their heart, then he will speak lies. They are not only deceptive and poisonous as serpents, but firmly and unwaveringly oppose all attempts to control them. As we read in verse 4, their poison is like the poison of a serpent. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ear, stops its ear. So they are poisonous and anyone who wants to teach them and tell them this is wrong, they are firmly and unwaveringly oppose all attempts to advise them. He said they are like the deaf cobra. Cobra is the most venomous of all serpents. And cobra resists all the arts of the charmer. In the old, some people used a kind of charming or magic to protect themselves and others from the bite of the serpents, and also to get the serpents out of their um, hiding places. That's why he said their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ear, which will not heed the voice of the charmers, charming ever so skillfully. So he said the deaf cobra stops its ear, did not, does not listen to the charmer. 
even those who are yani, very skillful. So, these people actually, uh, they are poisonous, and when God sent them advice, they act like the deaf cobra, they don't listen to it. The idea of a snake charming is alluded to in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 11, Jeremiah 8:17, and Sirach 12:13. So, as the cobra is deaf to the voice of the enchanter, so these men shut their ears to the warning and exhortation of the prophets. Their lies are harmful. They are like poison. The words of judges and rulers have special power to oppress others. Poisonous. And were as dangerous as deadly, unpredictable cobra. And they don't listen to what other people say. Rather, they are going to act according to their evil ways, regardless of what the people say or do. According to St. Athanasius, the soul of an angry man is like the serpent that appeared in paradise, the old serpent, the devil, pretending to be wise before our first parents, Adam and Eve, and to to bear the spirit of friendship toward them, yet it condemned itself to death. So the serpent pretended to be wise and friendly, but they destroy others. So King Saul pretended to be to bear a spirit of friendship toward David while he intended to kill him. In the same way the scribes and the Pharisees pretended to listen to our Lord Jesus Christ when they addressed him politely, Rabbi and teacher, while they intended to kill him. So, they came, all these wicked leaders and judges, they came to liken the ancient serpent in evil, Satan, refused to hear the sayings of the sent prophets who brought them the, the wise teaching. By their own choice, they stopped their ears so as not to hear that to them apply the words of Isaiah, the prophet, in Isaiah 6, verse 10. Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy and shut their their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Verse 6 Break their teeth in their mouths, O God. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away as waters 
which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as be as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail, which melts away as it goes. Like a stillborn child of a woman, that they may not see the sun. So, starting from verse 6, the psalmist changes the metaphor from that of a serpent and returning back to the image of a young lion. And David prayed that God would take vengeance on these dangerous judges. The power of the serpents and lions was in their fangs. David asks God to take away their deadly bite when he said, Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. He represents his enemies as cruel and bloodthirsty and as stronger than him. And therefore he is asking God, who could, because he is a Pantocrator, as God many times did before, to break the teeth of the ungodly by taking the power and instrument of harming from them, because the teeth is the instrument to harm others. Break their teeth in their mouths means break their malicious words, their lies, and their slanders. Teeth are the instrument of speech, and by breaking them, preventing their malice words. The heretics and atheists use their mouths to blaspheme God and lead the believers astray from the truth. As we read in Psalm 3, verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Also, Solomon in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 14, There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from of the earth and the needy from among men. So after the types of cruel and violent evil come four striking image of the foolishness of the wicked man's plan and his own near destruction. So what are these four images? David wants these unjust enemies to be like lions, like water, like a snail, like stillborn child. These are the four images. But the common theme with all these images to be harmless. So to make his enemies harmless, ineffective, and insignificant. 
So the first image is a lion, and we know that the lion is one of the most dangerous beasts on earth. And yet, what a lion is without the teeth? Relatively harmless. No one is afraid of a toothless lion. So that's why he said, break out the fangs of the young lion, O Lord. The second image, let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bent his bow, let his arrows be as if cut in pieces. Water had great strength. I think we know how during hurricanes, water, when rush, can destroy houses. So David calls for God to make these ruler, rulers flow away, vanish, or disappear as waters. Because water, when it runs in desert, the water will be evaporated by the sun and disappear or absorb it by the sand. And then he said, as running water, let them flow away as water which run continually. Run continually means instability. Let them be unstable as water that continually running. Let them never be settled, but always changing in their state and circumstances. So they will be useless and insignificant as water when it passes away and gone. Then he said, when my enemy bend his bow, let the wicked who aims his arrow to the righteous to kill him miss their goal, miss the goal. And let them do no harm to the righteous. Let them be disheartened and their courage fail them. Let there be no spirit left in them. So David prayed that the unjust would be ineffective with the picture of the unjust drawing back his bow and all of a sudden he becomes aware that his arrows as if cut in pieces. That is the image here. So, if, if the arrow lost its sharp point, then there is no danger if it's cut in pieces. What kind of damage can an arrow cause without a sharp point to it? None. So he said, when he bent, when the wicked man bent his bow to harm, to make a, a plan to harm the righteous, let his arrows, let his plans be as if cut in pieces. They lost the, the, the sharpness of, or of its point, so they are harmless, ineffective. So he prays that the unjust people would be rendered harmless by the Lord. Then the third image let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes. 
David asks that these unjust people would be rendered ineffective like a snail or a stillborn child. David asks for rapid and complete dispersion of these men and their power like a snail which melts as it goes away. We know that the snail is a soft animal that lives inside a shell. Soft animal lives inside the shell. So he is saying, while his enemies working with all their strength and speed to catch the righteous in their hands, the wicked are only compared to a snail. So he's asking God to make them like a snail that moves very slowly and who is inside its shell, helpless to resist anyone who intends to carry it away. So the wicked are likened to snail that in time of danger change its color from bright red to pale white as though dead and hides inside the shell. And we know that as the snail move, they leave a trail of slime which is gradually weakens, melt away and die. So he's saying like when the snail move, melt away and dies, so he's praying that every one of his enemies might die in like manner. So David is praying that the wicked will also melt away because of their unjust act. The last metaphor, like a stillborn child of a woman that they may not see the sun. So with a severe image, David prayed for the death of his enemies, or rather that they had never been born to see the light of the day. So he likens his enemies to stillborn the child of a woman that did not complete its growth and born dead. So the prayer is that his enemies might perish or be cut off and that he might thus be saved from them. So basically in these four metaphors, David calls to God to stop their attacks upon the innocent. Verse 9 Before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. So the final verses from 9 to 11, these are the last three verses in this psalm. David uh, expressed his confidence that God will bring justice and the wicked will be judged and eventually God will sweep them away and the righteous will be rewarded. 
David seems to recognize the judgment against the wicked may take some time. It will not happen right now, but it will come. So in verse 9, David prayed that God's judgment would come upon his enemies like a flash of fire. It is another image of the swift destruction of the wicked and their plans. He said, before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. Which means, let their judgment come soon. As dry thorns make great fire and give a quick heat, the pots soon fill them, or the water in some soon receives heat from them. But he said, before your pots can feel the burning thorns. So there is a big fire here, and they have their pots. So before the pot feel the burning throne, God removed them. And we know that the time for the pot to feel the burning heat of the burning throne, it is almost immediate. So David is saying, take them away in no time. Sweep them away in no time. Like a whirlwind, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind. So the the psalmist prophesies and foretells the sudden destruction of the wicked men, which would be before a pot could be heated with a fire of thorns. They will be taken away as with a whirlwind. The imagery here of the whirlwind is intended to raise and create a feeling of terror. So they will be taken away suddenly or rapidly before the pots could feel the soon burning and intense fire of swords. They were to be taken off by some terrible catastrophe, like the furious burning of swords, to which the wrath of God is frequently compared and is described as living and burning. So, because of their wickedness, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. The wrath of God against the sin. So the fire represents the malicious will of the evildoers, the pots, their devices, which they are planning. So before this plan are fulfilled, take them away. Before the wicked judges can enjoy the fruits of their wickedness, the fierce wrath of God will come upon them like a storm and sweep both them and the products of their evil way.
So the fire is like their plans and the pots, their devices, they are planning. So before these devices are fulfilled, sweep them away, take them away with your wrath, O God, like with whirlwind. Then verse 10, the righteous shall rejoice when he see the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. David thought of the happiness coming to the righteous when they see God's judgment on these unjust and oppressive rulers. As if the righteous walked the victorious field of the battle with God, his feet in the blood of the wicked. Those in the war, when they are victorious, actually their feet get smeared with blood. It was the custom in the old battles that the conqueror wash his feet also or hands in the blood of the slain enemies. So it is as though the psalmist proclaim that the victory over evil is complete and final. As the good man is pained when he sees the ungodly prosper, so he cannot but feel a certain satisfaction and pleasure when punishment overtakes them. You know, when uh, this terrorist killed a priest recently in Alexandria, and when we see the judgment, the execution, we felt comforted to see justice. That's exactly what he means here. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. It's important to observe that the rejoicing of the righteous is at the vengeance which God has taken upon the wicked. And that vengeance is only taken upon those who have willfully and adamantly, unwaveringly resisted every effort for their return. God sent them wise prophets, wise teachers, but as the deaf cobra, they did not listen. And God has proclaimed, vengeance is mine. So in other words, the time must come when evil can no longer be tolerated, but must be uprooted, and the righteous cannot but rejoice at the triumph of good over evil. Verse 11, So that men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. So God is true to his revealed character as a just judge and sovereign rulers. It is not for them to take or assume God's role and purpose and avenge themselves but they must rejoice when right is vindicated. 
We will not avenge ourselves because the Lord said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we cannot assume the role of God because vengeance is His. But we will rejoice when we see the right is vindicated. So that men will say, David desired the world to see there was a moral order under God where righteousness is rewarded and wickedness is judged. Because even in right now, the moral law is completely destroyed. And we are grieved when we see there is no morality. But when God actually, as a just judge, take vengeance on the wicked, we will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. So the justice of the divine providence shall be so evident and convincing by any man and every man. God's righteous judgment being seen in the punishment of the wicked, men will no longer doubt of the ultimate reward of the godly. David declares that there is a reward for the righteous and punishment for the wicked. St. Paul says the same in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 25. Whatever you do, do it heartily, as the Lord and not as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Those who do right will be rewarded, and those who do wrong will be punished. There is a God who judges on earth, and the ruler of the nations will not get away with wickedness. The rulers who choose to ignore the will of God and ignore justice for people, God will judge them. St. Augustine says, Behold, before that there comes that which is promised, before the judgment of God will come. Before that there is given life everlasting. Before that ungodly men are cast forth into fire everlasting. Here in this life there is fruit to just men. What fruit? So, St. Augustine says the righteous people will not wait, wait to get the reward in heaven. But even on earth they will be rewarded they will have fruit. So St. Augustine said, what fruit? In hope, rejoicing. So we will rejoice here on earth in hope. In hope, rejoicing, in tribulation, enduring. What fruit to the just man? We glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He used a quote from Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. St. Augustine says, Although the ultimate reward will be in heaven, but the righteous here, they will be rewarded. They will have fruit. 
they will rejoice in hope. That's why they can endure tribulation. As St. Paul said, we glory in tribulation. Why? We are not sadistic to glory in tribulation. But because we know tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and the hope does not appoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This actually concludes Psalm 58. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.